Hey everyone, welcome to Lessons with Mike. On a very special episode today, we're going to be talking about a, a wonderful journey from one place to the other place. Uh, and my guest on this episode is Miss Anna. Hello, humans. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it might not just be humans, it might be animals. Yeah, well, you know, it's the whole um, uh, Monsters, Inc. Hello, humans. <laughs> so, how did you start hiking? Um, so I started hiking when I was 19, so that was like 23, 22, 21, 20, like four years ago. Um, it'll be my, it'll be five years in February. Um, so I started hiking, um, kind of towards the end of a relationship that I was in and, um, I kind of was really confused about where I was at in life and just, wanted to try something that would be beneficial for me. And so I started hiking mm-hmm. and I started day hiking and then it progressed into backpacking and then it progressed into through hiking. And so that is where I'm at now. I just finished a through hike, obviously of the Appalachian trail. Um, right. So yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much how that one started. That's exciting, yeah. And that's what we're going to discuss uh, today: your journey on the Appalachian Trail. How long did that take? How many miles is that? So it gets a little bit longer every year, but for 2022, it was 2,194.3 miles. That's a lot of miles. Yes, it is, um, and it took me five months. Okay, where did you stay? Like, how did this work? So um, I obviously had a tent. Some people prefer hammocks, but I used a tent and like a sleeping pad and like a quilt system. Um, But uh, on like rainy days, the AT is a pretty social trail and there's these hostels and hotels that are usually pretty close to the trail. So like for showers or for getting resupplies or food, um, I would often stay in towns with hotels or hostels. But otherwise, I would be in my tent. Yeah. So, like, what state did you start in? So, it starts in Georgia, and it ends in Maine. Yeah, and you went through all of them in just five months? That's that's, that's very impressive. Yes, all of them in five months. What was, uh, what was the most difficult part? Um, for me, the answer is a little different for everyone. But, like, for, like, I think everyone can agree that, um, the White Mountain National Forest in New Hampshire is by far probably the most difficult as far as terrain and weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also pretty logistically difficult. It kind of just kicks you in the ass no matter what. Um, it's Everything's really hard about it, but it is really beautiful. But it's, uh, it's, it's pretty hard hiking. So there's about class two and class three boulder scrambles all throughout that section, as well as really high winds. I think um, one of the taller peaks and in the whites is called Mount Washington. And there was a time when there were winds that were like over 300 miles per hour or something crazy. So um, people die on that mountain a lot because of rapid weather change and everything. So it's, it's a pretty dangerous section. It lasts for about a hundred miles, but it takes you a lot longer because you have to really pace yourself. So through this whole experience, you were carrying like how much uh, weight of supplies were you carrying? Would you think? 
Um, so probably anywhere from like 22 to 26 pounds on me at all times. It kind of fluctuated. Yeah. And you had to carry all this stuff on you. It's like your food, the little hiking sticks. What are those called? Uh, trekking poles. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't, I don't go on a very difficult hikes. I go on little small hikes. So I've never had to use those. Are those difficult to use? Um, no, I don't actually use them other than for long hikes like that. So they were kind of new to me too, actually. Yeah. So I bet you got to see all kinds of, uh, inter- what are some things that you saw that are interesting? Um, I guess like, I think pretty predictable stuff in the South that we already know, but like when you get up like past the Mason Dixon line. So after Pennsylvania, I started seeing porcupines. And that was really bizarre. And I didn't know that North America had porcupines. I thought that was a thing of, like, another country. But apparently we have them. So, yeah, I saw some porcupines. Um, I saw a mom and three cubs. I saw very, very, very aggressive chipmunks up north also. Like, they're, the chipmunks are way more aggressive than any other animal by oh, far. That's interesting. Yeah, 100%. Did they try to take your food? Um, yes, I had some getting my food twice, actually. Oh, man. That would suck to be out in the middle of nowhere and have the chipmunks take your food. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess they didn't really take your food, but, like, I had, like, a mouse come in and puncture a little bit of food in my food bag and puncture my food bag. And then the chipmunks just kind of punctured my food bag. I don't know. They, I don't know, they're a little, they're a little small to run off with stuff, but, like, they'll they'll fuck your shit up you know they'll come up in that mess and really give you a hard time so like what was the highest point that you reached uh on this trip what do you mean by highest point like the highest peak that you were at at one point oh man that's actually a really good question um i can't remember what the highest peak is um I do believe you hit close to like 6,000 feet. It might be somewhere in the Smokies, like in North Carolina. Yeah. Is it, is um, it difficult I, to breathe at that height? Absolutely not. No, I've been That's up at 14,000 feet before and 6,000 feet is nothing. So yeah. so this took, you, uh, this took you five months. Did you do this on your own? Um, I started it alone, but I was not alone for very long. I was alone for probably like... <laughs> I don't know, 10 minutes before I met someone. Yeah, so you said it was like a very social experience. How do you meet these people just like walking throughout the, the trail? Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll see them when you're walking, but most of the connections are actually made when you have made camp for the night. So mm-hmm. whenever you set up your tent and like start making dinner, that's usually when you'll meet people just because the AT has designated shelters and designated campsites and so you kind of just meet people there they're all listed on this like digital map that we all use called far out it's also uh, previously called gut hook um but you can find like campsites and shelters and people usually kind of hoard and crowd those areas so yeah. and you made a lot of you made a lot met a lot of people on this uh, trail Yes, I have so many really great friends scattered all around the world, all around the country, which is a little bit of an inconvenience, but it's also like I did meet a lot of cool people. Was that a surprising thing or were you expecting that? Um, I was expecting it for sure. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. 
did you ever have to cross any like river river like wetland areas yeah so definitely some creek crossings in the south but they're like your typical like crossing a stream in the mountains it's not really like most of them if they're big they'll have bridges there's not much fording but um in the mid-atlantic so like we'll say new jersey new york and like massachusetts there is a lot of swamps it's a very big marshland there's a lot of boardwalks that are sinking into mud like they're kind of a little sketchy but um the the climate does change a little bit in the mid-atlantic um but it's not as mountainous in those areas at all either that's interesting did you have good weather for what months of this it started in um the fall or did it start in the summer so technically the hike started in the spring and it ended in the fall for me. So it was like late spring, early fall. Gotcha. Got did you have good weather for most part? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for considering the climate crisis, yes, I did for the most part. It was really hot in the summer and then um it wasn't really all that wet. The AT is known for being extremely wet, but I actually didn't really get a lot of that. Hmm. That's interesting. So did you have any like scary moments that happened? Um, yes. <laughs> um, okay, talk I, about them. Yeah. So, um, I would say most of my scary moments were like hiking. We're definitely in New Hampshire and Southern Maine. Mm-hmm. Southern Maine's pretty difficult to hike in, but um, I did have one encounter with another person that was not a hiker that felt really, really dangerous. Um, This was in North Adams, Massachusetts. So it was actually the day before I crossed into Vermont. Um, So I was getting a resupply at this grocery store that none of us know down South. It's like a Northern grocery store, but um, I was getting a resupply and I was walking around. I actually was dating a guy on the AT and he was with me, luckily. Um, but I was walking around by myself for the most part. And there was this older guy with this older woman, probably like in their 50s, walking around this grocery store. And I would see them down the aisles and stuff. And the guy would just very like unapologetically stare me down, like top to bottom, like looked at me like he wanted to eat me. I swear to God, it was the scariest freaking thing in the world. And so basically, it just kind of felt like he was following me around down the aisles, even with this woman who I would assume was like his wife or some significant other. But even with her around, like he would just like be everywhere I was and was just staring me down like you were looking at a big, fat, juicy steak. And so... I kind of found the guy that I was with and I told him about it. And so we kind of got out of there and luckily he didn't follow me out or anything. I, I, he probably would have, I wasn't with that guy, but he, he was, he definitely scared the crap out of me. And you know, in history, there have been instances uh, where a husband and wife, old, old people uh, team serial kill. So that's, that could have easily happened. Yeah, this, this was a little scary. And then the hotel that I was in was pretty close to that grocery store. So I was like, all right, we have to come out of this unseen as as unseen as possible. Yeah, you got to be uh, strategic when it comes to these things, because you never know anyone could be following you or stalking you. And uh, in places in this trail, I imagine it's pretty secluded. So that's another thing you have to take into consideration. 
Yeah, um, usually every year there's at least one creep ball that's rolling around the trail. There was this year, and there's going to be next year. I've already met the guy who's going to be the creepy freak on the 18 next year. Oh, so, no. Just kick him Yeah. Out. So I've, I've been spreading the word to all the females who are hiking next year just to, you know, keep them safe. And But, yeah, it usually happens every year. Yeah. Are you going hiking next year there as well? Um, no. So as far as 2023 goes, it's going to be definitely a rest year for me. Um, in 2022, I graduated college and hiked the AT all in like the same year. And that was a lot. Like I'm mentally and physically totally burnt out as of right now. And I haven't really been hiking or caring to, um, and improve my, like education at all right now um that'll change but yeah this year the upcoming year is the year of rest the year of just chilling and doing more growth for myself but as far as 2024 goes um I have a friend finagling me to do the Pacific Crest Trail which is 2600 miles and it ranges from Southern California at the Mexican border to Washington at the Canadian border I think you should do it if I have enough money and stuff, I will, but I'm also kind of like looking to looking into big girl jobs and trying to figure that out. I might end up going back to school. Like I have a lot of other things that I'm considering. So yeah. it just kind of depends if that works with everything even, else. Even if I. it's not, most people uh, could not go that distance um, without, you know, but you were able to do it with uh, not even having for hiking that long, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I, I had I had a, a wide array of issues hiking the AT, probably more so than most people, which made it really hard. But otherwise, it well, it wasn't kind of terrible. Um, so I had a lot of gastrointestinal issues on the AT. Um, so it kind of started off with in Southern Virginia, I got norovirus, which you pretty much only get if you're through hiking or if you're like on a cruise or somewhere where you're just kind of like around a bunch of nasty stuff or like gross people. And so in this case, like norovirus spreads really heavily in hostels because you have a bunch of like unshowered, unhinged hikers all gathered in the same place. And so I basically got that from an instance, probably like that. And basically the, the symptoms are like lots of vomiting and diarrhea and just like, it's explosive, dude. It's bad. Oh, no. So you have that for about 24 hours, but you don't feel great for like another three. So I got that in Southern Virginia. And then by the time I got to New Hampshire, I actually was about to go up Mount Washington. So this there's huts all throughout the whites. And um, this one was called Lake of the Clouds Hut. And I had stayed there because the weather was looking a little bit iffy. It rained all night from what I can remember. And um, so I was able to put my sleeping pad like on the dining room floor inside of this hut, which was really, really nice. Um, But I felt really, really sick. I had felt sick all day. I felt lightheaded all day long. And so I ended up having really bad diarrhea and like vomited once. And um, I went to the ER, got tested for Giardia, which is a waterborne parasite that basically just makes you sick. Um, 
but I filtered all my water. So I knew like that was probably not what it was, but I wanted to get tested anyways. And that ER visit was not cheap, <laughs> but um, I basically the, the question was never answered. I still don't really know what was wrong with me. I did talk to some friends that I hiked with that went through similar things and there's an array of things that it could have been. Um, all I know is that like your diet is not very good when hiking like that. And that was probably a contributor. I also have like hereditary, like stomach issues that also contributed. And also just like changing, like being nomadic like that is actually really hard on your immune system Mm -hmm. too. So like there's so many things that it could be that it could have been, um, But towards the end, I actually started seeing blood in my stool. So I had to make a few decisions and had to like get off trail a lot in order to heal myself. So that sucked. But yeah. Are you doing better now? Has that all been resolved? Yeah, that has all been resolved now. I mean, I still have problems that I was having before the AT that I'm currently trying to fix, but um. But yeah, like that, that intense stuff is definitely gone now. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And I can see how it'd be easy to catch things in your, if you're in that type of environment, but uh, it's also in a way, perhaps it builds up your immune system. So maybe if you were to go again, perhaps that wouldn't happen. I would hope not, but I would also ensure that my diet was a lot better. It was a lot of like Sour Patch Kids and ramen. So, so what did you, what did you eat mostly? Like what kind of food did you have with you? So um, when I first started the AT, I had like a stove and everything. And then as it got hot, I actually started cold soaking. So basically, instead of like cooking your ramen or your instant mashed potatoes, like over your stove in hot water, you literally put it in cold water and let it sit there for a certain amount of time and you eat it cold. So I mean, it's the same thing as if you would cook it. It's just a different way of preparing it. Um, I mean, I would say instant mashed potatoes and ramen aren't the healthiest things in the world, but um, I cold soaked for majority of the time. Um, Even when it got cool up north, I still cold soaked, Um, but it was a lot of ramen, a lot of instant mashed potatoes, couscous, um, lots of Sour Patch Kids, lots of dried fruit, Um, not actually a whole lot of trail mix, but I did like to carry some of that, Um, lots of cliff bars until I couldn't eat those anymore. Um, lots of peanut butter, lots of oatmeal, um, just kind of whatever fit. I ended up, um, eating a lot of nor rice sides towards the end. Also, those just take a little bit longer to soak, usually about like an hour or so. And then usually tuna to put in those or like packaged chicken or something like that. I ended up carrying a little mini bottle of olive oil towards the end also, just because, I was rapidly losing weight due to my gastro issue, so I had to find some way to get calories. In. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, so did would, did you have a set time that you would eat every day? Would you skip meals? Like, how many times, like per day, would you eat? Oh, dude, a lot. Um, my goal was to try to eat like four thousand calories a day. That did not happen most of the time, um, but. That was my goal. Um, I probably met it sometimes, but usually when you're hiking, like, you know, I mean, the days are long during the summer, but like towards the end, as the days got shorter, like it was, it was pretty much almost completely like 
autumn leaves and everything up north and by the time it was like mid-september hmm. so the days were getting a lot shorter so we had to take like way less breaks and stuff so like at that point i probably didn't eat quite as much just because i was trying to race the sun a little bit well how many miles per day on average do you think you traveled so it definitely depended um in the beginning it was like 10 to 13 miles a day and then by the time the middle like like virginia and everything up until the beginning of new hampshire it was anywhere from like 18 to 24 and then by the time new hampshire hit it was like nine or ten miles a day oh yeah so, and so, then, so what state did you spend the longest in at that rate uh, definitely virginia virginia is like 500 and something odd miles so i spent yeah. probably like oh i spent definitely spent over a month in virginia for okay. sure okay interesting So but, yeah. were there ever any days that you were not feeling well enough to hike at all and you just kind of relax for a day or two to catch up? Yeah, definitely. Like every week there was at least a day that I took off or sometimes it was half a day, but um, every week I'm allowed like one day of healing. Other than the times where I got sick, it was definitely two, three or four days. Okay. And like, what was it in the first place that like made you decide to want to do this? Um, well, I kind of, when I first learned about the AT, I didn't really know what it was. I couldn't like wrap my head around the concept of a trail that was 2,200 miles. Um, but I watched a few documentaries, like real, like really well-made documentaries about the trail and how it like changed people and like the way people like I don't know people like people just came out different and it it was obvious it's obviously a life-changing experience and I can 100% attest to that but like something was just kind of dragging me and calling me to do it like I felt like I couldn't go on with life without doing this right that's wonderful now you've done it yeah so I I and and the weird thing is I still feel like I can't go on without I can't go on with life for some reason. Well, do, you um, feel, I just, do you feel changed? Uh, yeah, I definitely am not the same in any way, shape, or form. There's a, there's an independence variable because now you could probably, uh, you have a lot more survival skills now. There's just things you pick up, I would imagine. Uh, kind of. Um, I guess it's not really a survival-based, like hobby it's more like how far can you walk i don't know because like you're getting food and supplies like in towns mm -hmm. so like i'm i mean i guess i foraged stuff sometimes but that's just because like i'm really into mycology and i know like what's edible and what's not and everything in between but like that was just of, like my own interest gotcha for those of you listening if you don't know mycology is mushrooms Yes, it is a study of fungi, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you said earlier you saw a bear. Would you see a bear? So, I saw a few bears, but uh, the craziest thing I saw was a mom and two cubs in Massachusetts. Um, uh, they were acting not aggressive, but the mom was acting definitely very protective, as she should. Um, so, I had to be kind of firm and assertive with her and just kind of move on quickly, but it wasn't anything past that. Yeah, how close were you? 
Um, probably like 200 feet away. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. And bears can charge very quickly. Um, black bears are actually pretty docile. Um, as long as you assert dominance towards them, they will not do anything. But, That's um, yeah, grizzly bears and like other brown bears and such can be a lot more, um, aggressive but that they weren't anywhere nearby that you would have to go out to like the northern midwest or like the northwest to see grizzlies right. i'm now i'm not a bear expert but i feel like on the uh, the eastern side of america you only ever run into black bears unless you're in a zoo uh, yeah oh no you run into them in the woods for sure um but the catch with all of these is a lot of them are food conditioned so it's actually yeah. a term i learned in college where like um, they just get into people's foods and trash cans all the time. So therefore they're not really afraid of humans because they're so used to being around humans. Oh yeah. And that can be a problem. Yes. It's very problematic for sure. It's, uh, it's interesting because you have, uh, you have nature and you have the environment and then humans of course want to enjoy it. But in the process of trying to enjoy something, we also create problems sometimes unintentionally sometimes maliciously, but I think for the most part, it's unintentional. But then when you identify the problem, there's solving the issue is, is a whole other thing. It opens up all kinds of debates. Some people refuse to even acknowledge there's a problem. So it's just, it becomes this very difficult thing where you, there's, you know, there's something that needs to be done, uh, but no one can agree on what to do. And it's not just with the bears uh, getting involved in people's food and trash cans, but with all kinds of environmental destruction, there's microplastics now. Uh, in newborn children, they have microplastics already inside them. If you go to the top of Mount Everest, there's microplastics. Mount Everest in the past hundred years has gotten significantly taller just because of all the trash that's been piled up there. So how are people, uh, were they respectful of nature for the most part? So it seemed like um, the through hikers did a pretty good job with that. Um, now, I... On different, on varying levels. So, like, you know, there's this process called leave no trace. Um, there's multiple different like ways where you can leave no trace, but um, one of them is like disposing of waste properly. Um, a lot of people had a hard time like wrapping their heads around that for some reason. Um, so the, like the rule was to be like, I think it's like. Uh, like it might be 200 feet away from the nearest water source you dig like a six inch cat hole and you bury like toilet paper and they don't want you burying whites because they're not biodegradable like toilet paper is oh that's so interesting so yeah that that's kind of a thing and if you actually go on like expeditions with people like um nulls or like um uh, what's that one called? But I guess Knowles is a good enough example. They actually like have you like dispose of your waste like in a little bag. Like they will not risk you burying anything. Um, but and certain places are like that. Like a lot of national parks are like that also. Um, places with like really sensitive ecosystems. But um, for the most part, we buried our stuff. Um, but not everyone was very good at it. And some people like accidentally drop trash, but most of like the waste, like trash waste that was left were left by like day hikers, people who had really no experience in the woods at all or like hiking at all. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I hope that uh, this thing can continue for some time and 
hopefully the direction of the environmental destruction that society is heading toward. Hopefully that slows down and reverses. Um, I'm not sure how likely that is, but it would be great if we could uh, we could figure out a way to stop that. Would be nice, that's for sure. <laughs> because, you know, 20, 30 years from now, it, it might be difficult to find a place where you can actually experience nature. That It's very accessible now. This is very interesting. 150 years ago, not maybe even less than that, maybe 70 years ago, if you wanted to experience, you couldn't just go to these places. Like you had to know that they existed. There was, you, you couldn't just do a Google search of places to hike near me. You'd have to actually know about it or hear about it. But, but now we're like the first group of people that is aware of all that is out there. Like I've never been to, to places like this and I'm aware that they exist because I know you and you post about it and other people post about it. So these, these are beautiful places that it would be fun to explore and visit and, and wander around. But, it's, it's it's i'm skeptical that we will have this much access going forward if the destruction of the environment continues at its current pace and that's very unfortunate yeah yeah that's that's basically like in a nutshell what my degree is in so i think like that, that kind of goes back to the question of like why did i decide to do this hike but like it also very much complemented like my studies um so but yeah like we definitely talked a lot about that and the thing like with like climate change and like just like an accumulation of mass waste goes down to like mass consumerism which is like a human culture thing now Mm -hmm. and like like the greedy people greedy rich people also like massively consuming or like creating lots of waste in their companies that that we don't actually have control over as like lower middle class like workers Mm -hmm. So, like, sorry, that, sucked. that sucked yeah <laughs> one misconception and this is a problem that originally i studied at this in college in the in the 90s 80s uh the the big plastic companies coca-cola did this other companies did this like oh recycle recycle so the, the burden of recycling was shifted from the companies to the individual consumer and here's what's interesting right if you take the us regular people the amount of damage we do to the environment is negligible when you compare it to the billionaire who has 54 private flights that they take a month. I mean, that that's doing significantly more damage, but then the burden to, you know, change things is placed upon us who, like you had said, we don't have the power individually to, to do things. We'd have to come together as some kind of collective and establish regulations and establish protocols in order to get things fixed. Yeah, pretty much. Basically the whole like, political and economic system of america and of the world would totally have to change and the catch with that is all those changes would be really uncomfortable for a very large amount of people to where that would be almost impossible to put in place anyways so there's one thing that i learned from school it's that we're kind of doomed in a way um it's it's very hard to be optimistic but i I don't know. There's a lot of people who are, and so I'm hoping those people who are optimistic really take a big, take some pretty big leaps in their life, man. I don't know. If you are, st- if you still have hope that the world can be better, then congratulations, because uh, I'm, I'm very skeptical that there's anything we can do. Uh, someone out there who's more intelligent than me, please come up with a way to fix this crumbling society and make it work for everyone, not just a few people, and make it so we don't destroy the planet, because think about this right a hundred years ago there was a there were passenger pigeons that's what they were called 
there were so many of them that if you wanted to kill them, you would just, there are stories I read, you just point your gun in the sky, you shoot it, and a few of them will fall down. They blackened out the sky, there were so many of them. And now there's none left, because we killed them all. So if you're not careful, the same thing can happen to anything. It can happen to a, a jaguar, a deer, a tree, a forest. The Brazilian Amazon rainforest is getting destroyed at a rapid rate. So you got to think about this. Like, do you really want to live in a world without these things? Because nature is amazing and beautiful and incredible. And w without that, we have corp corporatism. You see a McDonald's from 10 years ago. Look how fun and vibrant now a McDonald's today, any place today. It's this corporate, gray, boring, sludge nonsense. It's, it's uninteresting. And we're becoming a world that is just uninteresting and boring. And that's why that's just one of the reasons we got to take care of the environment, because it's so much more interesting to look at than a gray building of nothingness. Yeah, absolutely. And that was definitely one of my other reasons for hiking, too, was for that. Um, but yeah, it's... It sucks, man. Like, I, I really do wish that, like, I had more optimism for the future of the world. Um, I definitely, like, people are into, like, dystopian, like, fiction and stuff. Um, I definitely recommend reading Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. I actually had to read that in school, but it's, it was made, like, before me and you were born, I'm pretty sure. But um, she, she like, predicted what it would be like in 2022 or 2023 or something like that, like, sometime now. And um, it's a little, like, technologically, like, off. Like, it's a little devanced in her perception. But, like, as far as, like, the social climate and stuff, it's really not that far off. Oh, and, like, the political climate as well. I'm going to have to look that up. That's interesting. I love books. That'll be a fun one to read. It's a good one. I think you'll like it. Well, uh, before we wrap things up, do you have any final stories or things that you'd like to add? Um, yeah. Um, all I can say is if, you know, if anyone has any interest in like expanding their life and like doing something crazy, like a long ass hike or something that's totally out of your comfort zone and, you just feel like you can't leave your corporate job. You can't do this. You can't do that because you have this many responsibilities. Always find a way to follow your dreams. Always. It doesn't matter. I literally like went on trail knowing that my student loans were going to start drafting at a point very soon after. And I'm not even really worried about it. It'll change you to where you're not even worried about anything anymore. This mm -hmm. is just, who you are, you're completely unbothered and nothing matters except for the fact that you need to live, breathe and eat like that. That's <laughs> it. Like, it really puts things in perspective. Uh, for me, I had that moment when I jumped out of a plane and when you're 13,000 feet up in the air and there's like three minutes where you're free falling before the parachute gets deployed. And that whole time you're thinking, oh, what if it doesn't get deployed? then I'll die. It doesn't matter how much money I owe. It doesn't matter that 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 this thing happened or that thing happened. It, it, the ground is getting a lot closer. And uh, uh, so I'm having a good time. And that's what matters. You got to have yeah. a good time. You got to do things. You got to push yourself out of your comfort zone. You, you weren't you put here to just exist. I mean, come on. So many people just go through life just existing. Like, no, stop existing and actually start doing stuff jump out of planes, go hike across a country. Why not? I mean, come on, life is short. And, and here's one thing, if you just exist, 
and go about your day, you let the billionaires win. And we can't let the billionaires win. Eat the rich, people. Eat the rich. Eat the rich. (laughs) Well, Anna, thank you so much for being here. This was a very, very wonderful discussion. And thank you, everyone who listened to this. And for all of your support, I really am appreciative of that. If you liked this, be sure to share it. And with, with everyone, share with the whole world. Climb to tops of mountains and play it at full blast. Even the birds get to hear about it. Absolutely. Sing it to the birds, you guys. Have a good night. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye.